0: I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and Editor-in-Chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Gordon Lawson, CEO at Conceal, provider of an intelligence grade zero trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more about our sponsor, Conceal, visit Conceal.io. Also joining us is Kenneth Foster, VP of IT Governance, Risk and Compliance at FleetCor, a global leader in business payments with $3.4 billion in annual revenues and around 10,000 employees. Welcome, Kenneth and Gordon. Great to have you both with us today.
1: Glad to be on and uh, looking forward to it. Likewise, Steve. Thank you. So, Ken, Fleetcore
0: is a large organization and a leader in the business payments space. Tell us about your background and your role at the company.
1: Yeah, so I've been, I've been in the cybersecurity space now going on, I hate to admit this, but probably close to 30 years now. I uh, started out in the military, doing it within the Navy when it was uh, still called information assurance, and then moved into the civilian world and kind of bounced in and out of security and infrastructure for the last 25 years. Probably about six years ago, I stepped over to first data FISERV and took over a governance risk role there in compliance and then moved into moved into that same role here at Fleet Corps. I like to call myself the VP of other duties as assigned at Fleet Corps because uh, although GRC is my title, I kind of pick up whatever else is going on that they need some help with. So I run enterprise vulnerability management. I run some of the cloud security piece, some of the identity stack data protection. So whatever needs to be fixed kind of always falls in my lap.
0: Well, two Navy men here. Uh, so much respect for both of you. Gordon, uh, you really bring a lot of great people from the military on with you. Let's dive in here. Gordon, you talk to a lot of executives and CISOs in, in different industries. Let's zero in here on the business payment space, any unique challenges, uh, You know what you're hearing from people.
2: Well, I, I just think what we, the, the overall context of what we're seeing is, uh, obviously the rise in ransomware, the, the increased sophistication and the vectors of these attacks. And I think whether it's the payment space or really any space here where you have consumers and, 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 and lots of money changing hands. I mean, just look at this recent Clorox attack. It's devastating and it can be devastating to the business outcomes and the financial results of a company. But I think that it's something that we just have to continue as a community to get our arms around and continue to find innovative solutions because threat actors seem to be able to operate uh, you know, they just they just have to be right once and we have to be right all the time. And it's a it's a it's a very tough dynamic right now.
0: So Ken, we often get the question about you know boardroom executives, the C-suite. Does the CISO belong there? And you know, obviously they do. And there's so much chatter on that. But we don't often have people asking us about the CIO and the CISO's relationship. You recently were at a conference alongside a lot of uh, CIOs. How important do you think that is? And you know, is there enough dialogue between those two executives? It's critical.
1: Right. If you do not have a solid relationship, because you typically, you as the CISO, whether you have a seat at the table or not, right? We still, today, mostly, most CIOs are where the CISO reports into still today, right? It's not, uh, that's a pretty common reporting structure. I argue that if you have the right relationship with your CIO you don't have to be as demanding about having that seat at the table because the CIO is going to bring you to the board with him to have those meetings, to have those conversations, because you're the subject matter expert. He's going to be expecting you to come in and be able to explain why the risk or the security issues that we're having and what the impact is that to the board. And, and if you have that appropriate relationship and you have that transparent, honest conversation and dialogue with your CIO, He's going to trust you to present your case to the board for him so he doesn't have to take that workload on himself when he's giving out his operational side of it. And I mean, let's be honest, most CISOs cannot impact the change that needs to be done to actually implement whatever the strategy is. The CIO's team has to do that. So you've got to be able to communicate that clearly, lay out what the strategy is, help him prioritize on top of the business needs. Because the business needs are always going to be his number one priority, right? Making revenue, making sure that we're keeping everything operational. Our job is to reduce risk and point that out and help him understand how that our strategy is going to overlay and help with the operational needs of the company and keep revenue coming in at the lowest risk possible. So it's, it's a critical relationship.
0: So Ken, HMG does a great job putting on their executive leadership series. You were there in Atlanta recently. There were a lot of CIOs there as well as CISOs. What was the key theme at the summit and any big picture takeaways you can share with us?
1: Well, I mean, here lately, the past year, the big theme has been AI, of course, right? And what the impact is that going to do, not only to the operational side for CIOs and and, and for the business, but also what it's doing from a security standpoint. So that's one of the common themes. I think ransomware is still our biggest problem. It's the people factor that you can train people uh, constantly, I think that's something we need to be better at is helping people understand why um, why they need to be suspicious of everything. And I've often said that my job is to make everybody as paranoid as I am, and that's part of the <laughs> part of our job as a CISO. Uh, but those are some of the big things I'm see- uh, big themes I've been seeing. Again, there's regulatory change coming. Privacy is still a big piece of this, as we, especially in the global company space, right? <laughs> your new privacy laws every day that impact how we approach security from a general standpoint. Because if I'm doing my job at, from a security standpoint, from a, a from that side of the house, privacy should be a result of what I'm doing, not along with the the security piece of it. And operational resilience for our CIO side of the house should also be an outcome of that, right? Because if I am designing the right security strategy and I'm helping them reduce risk in the right way, we should be building a more resilient, more operationally efficient program overall from that strategy standpoint, where we minimize the impact of a cyber risk or a ransomware attack, for example, that's going to minimize the blast radius and keep things moving along as they should be.
0: So Gordon, I know that you and Conceal talked to a lot of CISOs at Fortune 500, Global 2000 companies, mid-market companies. I haven't asked you, and I am curious to know, are CISOs a uh, you know, either bringing their CIOs in on those conversations or are the CIOs showing up at any point? And, and if they are, what, what are you hearing and how important do you think the collaboration is between the CISO and the CIO?
2: Yeah, I think that the collaboration is obviously very important. I think it depends on the organization. Obviously, as as Ken you know, knows well, it, it, just, it just depends on how that CIO-CISO relationship works. I think in financial institutions, obviously a CISO probably has almost equal footing or certainly equal footing in the boardroom. Maybe in, in different verticals, it's 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 a different dynamic, but I think that there needs to be uh, increased collaboration here. And I also think that CIOs probably need to really under, dig in and understand the nuances of cyber and what a, a really resilient posture looks like as well. Where that that sort of gets maybe pushed aside sometimes because I understand that you know general IT spends, equipment spends, yeah, cloud cloud spends are, are very expensive. So it becomes a, that's a big business center, but those things can be breached very easily. And if the CIO doesn't understand how to defend against that, then you then you can have issues.
0: So, Ken, you brought up uh, AI before. And, you know, I mean, we can't have a conversation with the CISO without touching on that. Uh, we just recently had the CISOs from Equifax and United Airlines on with us, and, and that was not the topic, but they brought it up. They want to talk about it. I'm, I'm curious, when you were at the summit, what were you hearing and with regards to ai is the focus more on cyber criminals having access to it and how they're weaponized and you know yet another huge challenge for you or is it more on the cybersecurity side and you know a tool to help you
1: combat cybercrime so i think you brought up a great point it's a tool right and it's a tool that can be used for good or evil right Um, I think that's one thing you have to look at. I do think it's lowered the bar for people who maybe are not expert hackers or expert attackers. It has lowered the bar of entry for them if they're just disgruntled with your business practices, with your company, with someone at you. They didn't get the job. You didn't hire them, and they're just disgruntled. It's made it easier for them to generate an attack. The ransomware thing scares me because it's uh, our phishing as the entry point for ransomware because traditional stuff that we've been teaching people on how to catch and identify a phishing email, right? Misspelling, bad grammar, just the way that the the email's constructed, that's gone, right? AI has enabled that and democratized that to a point where it's easy for anybody to create a really professional, uh, almost hard to t- detect Phishing email that can then lead to this, you know, stolen credentials and ransomware attack. Right, going forward. So I think that's one thing we have to worry about. I think on the other side of it, we need to figure out how we're going to use these tools to defend against it. And I think the the real thing that I'm looking at is a it's a, like I said, it's a tool. So we got to sit down with the business and go, hey, as a tool that can possibly help the business in a lot of ways. It can possibly help my security operations in a lot of ways it can even help the IT cio operations in a lot of ways what we've really got to do is sit down and go what are these use cases why why are we doing this we're not just going let's not just run out and throw ai at something because it's the latest and greatest tool and buzzword out there what we've really got to determine is what are those use cases what are the guardrails we're going to put up around it how are we going to protect it and you know you've got to you got to make sure people understand the the pitfalls of hey, you're using a public AI model or a public large language model. If you're letting your people just go out and use a public model, you're probably letting IP slip out somewhere into the into the ether. You may also be putting, depending on what you're putting into it, you may be laying out a roadmap on how to attack you or how to create generate fraud against you, right? So you've really got to be conscious of what that information is you're putting out there And uh, I've been having some great conversations with folks here lately because not only the AI side of it, we've been talking about the S-bombs that the government's requiring for everybody to put on when they're developing software. As you look at PCI 4.0, it basically is making you also build an S-bomb, just not calling it an S-bomb. And although you're not putting it, you're not required to put that out publicly, you're still handing it off to a third party or multiple third parties that allows, you know, you're basically building a roadmap for people to know these are the protections I've got. These are the gaps I've got. These are the issues. This is how you can best attack me. Right. So there's a lot of requirements for transparency, which I don't think is a, it's a double-edged sword. I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways because it helps us identify where maybe we need to invest and maybe we need to spend more effort building better process and, and a better strategy around protecting and lowering risk. But it's also exposing us to risk in a way that I think is, is dangerous to just make it widely publicly available. I think if we narrow it down to people we're doing business with and have the right contractual language and right NDAs in place, it minimizes that risk to a standpoint. But again, I think the big thing with AI for me is, is we got to figure out what those right use cases are, what the right guardrails are, and we're going to have to use it to defend against the attackers who are using it against us. So you've got to be thinking like, how is a criminal going to use this against me? How's that threat actor going to use AI to attack me? Now, how can I use AI to counter that? So those are the questions you should be sitting down with your team and thinking through. And that's going to require a great understanding of what your true control set framework looks like, where your actual risks are, and being honest with yourself and your internal teams in the business going, we're okay at this, but we suck at this. And we need to make sure that we highlight why we suck at it and what we're going to do to fix it.
0: Gordon, we had uh, Mark McLaughlin come on with us, former chairman, president and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. He's chairman of the board of Qualcomm now. Most people who follow us know who Mark is. He weighed in on AI and definitely weighed heavily on the cybersecurity side, feeling like in the long run. It's going to be very, very beneficial to cybercrime fighters, even though cybercrime criminals uh, might have a head
2: start. W- where do you land on this? Well, for sure. I, I think, as I've said, we, you know the way that we use it at the browser level, I know that we're finding threats that have made it through other controls. And I think it, it, it increases the efficacy of our prevention and detection mechanisms. But I think overall, it's going to be very, very beneficial. But I also uh, totally agree with Ken that threat actors can use it. In, in very nefarious ways, and it's probably easier to get uh, get information. I think there's one other thing, though, that we, we didn't talk about with Mark, um, and I'd love to address Steve. There's this consumer element that I think CISOs and certainly CIOs are gonna get drawn into. So think about a company using AI to make a loan determination, to make a mortgage qualification determination. So that's why there's this push now on this AI Bill of Rights that the uh, administration's doing. Um, and I and I think that you know there's always going to be a balance between too much regulation and, and stifling innovation. But I think that what we're going to get more drawn into now is that uh, any consumer-facing business is going to be under pressure to show how much they're using AI in their internal processes, whether you're respecting people's data uh, sovereignty, you're respecting their PII in these decisions. And so, it, like now, it goes way beyond cyber, just cyber crime. In terms of more considerations that uh, folks like Ken and his peers are going to have to be thinking about as they're, you know, also defending their enterprise against these threats, and so it's a, it's a, it's a big, meaty problem that is going to take a lot of, a lot of thought, and uh, it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting as, as this develops.
0: So, Ken, we have a lot of colleagues uh, of yours who, you know, follow us, Fortune 500, Global 2000, Mid-Market CISOs. They're listening to you. I'm sure they're shaking their head, agreeing. You know, maybe they have some of their own opinion, but then there's small businesses and mid-market companies who don't have somebody like you, and they're thinking about these threats, and it's just so difficult. They don't have a CIO. They don't have full-time IT staff. I mean, for them to combat these threats or even understand them, such a huge challenge. Before you go, what advice do
1: you have for some of the smaller organizations out there? Number one, reach out. Uh, Number two, I think the people like HMG and some of these other networking groups. Granted, I know how they, I know what their model is. They need to get these people and get them invited out to network and do. I've often told people they ask me why I come on and speak on these things, why I like going to the conferences and having this conversation, because I feel that our shared knowledge, as as a core of us that have been doing this professionally for a very long time. The way we give back to those small, mid-sized businesses who can't afford to have full-time IT staff uh, or an expert necessarily on board, we should be giving and sharing this information in a way that, in a format that allows them to have access to it and allows them to ask questions and allows us to be able to give them some advice and have a discussion with them. And the truth is, is they get underserved by our industry quite a bit because they're not they don't have the purchasing power that some of us do and they get it, they get left out of these events and they get left out of the ability to come listen to some of these excellent speakers that show up at these events that talk about these problems that we're having, right? They don't get exposed to the things that all of us get exposed to, even though they're probably getting attacked more, to be honest with you, especially at the the smaller shops that just do not have ability to detect it. I've often thought that's probably the bigger threat to, Threat to even businesses like us, who have a lot of these small and mid-sized businesses as our customer, right? They're a vector to come into us. And if we're not doing everything we can to protect that vector, and by protect that vector, it's not just lock them down and isolate them from us. It's have conversations with them and make sure they understand why the threat exists and what they can do at at a level to limit our exposure, to be honest with you. But it also helps them figure out ways to limit their exposure. There's some guys in Atlanta, I know that their businesses, what they've done is come up with a, hey, here's a security stack we're going to offer to you as a small business because you're you're one of our customers. Here's a, here's a vendor, here's a package we're going to offer to you at a pretty low cost and give you some support on it. So I, I really think we we larger companies need to be out there helping these guys out as much as we can. I'm not saying make it your full-time job and not lose money on it. But you do need to be helping these guys out because it is a risk. It is an attack vector for you if you're not helping them understand what they need to be doing to minimize your risk and make that not the entry path.
0: So, Gordon, maybe you could chime in here. One of the things I really like about Conceal is the partner network that you have. And I've talked to some of them offline and, you know, you're dealing with a lot of companies who are out there in the trenches every day. They're talking to small to mid-sized businesses. There's no way that any vendor could get out there and talk to the millions and millions of, you know, small businesses. You know, how important is that? Having like an ecosystem that comes out from the vendor that touches these small businesses.
2: I mean, it's critical, and I and I think you know the you know I, no no offense to Ken he, he he knows that he's he's built a great team, but you know the vast majority of companies aren't as big as Fleetcore, right? And they and people ask me what's the first thing we should do, and I was like, go find a good MSP or MSSP, go find someone who can give you an assessment, give a whole a holistic view of what, what your where your gaps are, and implement the right tools for your organization. And that's I think we, we, that's why we love that MSP and MSSP ecosystem. Steve, it's the lifeblood. They support the most important companies uh, in America and uh, they do it with uh, with the limited resources those companies have. And so, yeah, we'll, we're always gonna continue to support them just like we support, you know, the Fortune 500, but those other 50,000 smaller firms, at least at least 50,000 smaller firms in the U.S. that are also potential victims of the threat actors. We, we gotta give more attention as an industry and that's where we're a favorite Sonic Conceal.
0: Gentlemen, appreciate both of you coming on with us. Ken, hope we could uh, have you on again. Gordon, I know we'll see you soon. I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. This interview is sponsored by Conceal, provider of an intelligence grade zero trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more, visit Conceal.io. You can keep up with all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com.